Okay, so so we're just going to do a quick rundown of what happened today and yesterday, even though this will come out till next week. Merry Christmas or Happy Winter Solstice and Pagan Fest or uh, Spinning of the Spheres in, in the Heavens time when it's dark and wintry to everybody out there. Um, what happened, though, uh, with, with the Michigan legislature being blocked by police. Other places were going to have two sets of votes going to Pence, which uh, you said is what happened before in 1876. And I'm like, I don't even remember. And we just talked about that. So <laughs> I'm sure there are others in yeah. my boat. I'm sure I'm not yeah. alone on the, on the narrows here. So, yeah. yeah. So in 1876, you have contested sets, contesting sets of electors in four States. I believe they were all Southern States. So this is, this is what's going to be the end of the reconstruction process, which I think we could go into more detail some other time or place. I think that what the the parallel that you get is that you have sets of electoral college votes coming from places like Louisiana and Florida, and they get sent, that all gets sent to Washington alongside what has been certified by, at that time, the Republican controlled governor and and legislatures, although the the process of certification is different then. And so at that point, you have to decide, all right, well, whose, whose votes matter once Hmm. they get to Washington. And you have some different options there constitutionally and you can you can certify only one set or you can toss out both sets from a given state which of course affects the electoral college count right so today if we have 538 total electoral college votes between all the states and what we have now um, as of yesterday we're recording this on the 15th is that you're going to have two sets potentially right i'm sure this will be challenged in the courts so if I'm lying by the time this comes out on Christmas Eve, you know, just correct me. But potentially you have two sets of votes coming from Nevada, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. In Michigan, it appears that the, somebody in the Michigan GOP tried to produce a separate set of electors, but you can find as of December 15th, who knows what Silicon Valley will do by then. As of December 15th, you can find video of those electors trying to enter the Michigan State House and being turned back by Michigan State Police. Reports differ on who told the police to do that, not let them into the State House. Because as you know from the live stream that we did the one Saturday, you have to vote in person uh, if you're a part of the Electoral College. So, so you, you have, have police yeah. stopping the electors from voting in person, which is <laughs> really yeah, interesting. I mean, like, who's watching this yeah. thing, right? You know, yeah. I, nobody yeah. actually. That's the problem. Yeah. So, yeah, so you only have, you, you wind up with three instances of contesting electoral college votes because in Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, you know, the Republican electors voted for Trump, the Democratic electors voted for Biden. The issue now becomes what is certified and valid, okay, for January 6th when these things have to be opened by Mike Pence in a joint session of Congress to certify the electoral college votes for president and vice president. That's where I want to know what happened in 1876. Well, in 1876, there's too much controversy over how this is going to work. So it gets thrown into what, yeah. I can imagine that might happen again. (laughs) Right. So, so what they do with Tilden and Hayes, Samuel Tilden, nobody remembers him. He almost was United States president. Does anyone remember Hayes? Okay. I do. Okay. Yeah. I'm just Uh, saying, I'm just saying. (laughs) 
is give it a hundred years. Is right, exactly. Is that you get you get the whole issue thrown into what's called a contingent election, which is where the House votes for the presidency right, and the right. Senate votes for the vice presidency as states, right? So thrown it all the way back to Articles of Confederation, you know, where we just vote as state delegations. So at that and what point, what happened then? What happened then? Well, what happened then was something that I don't think could ever happen today, which oh. was they made a backroom deal <laughs> about you'll get the, we, we're going to get the presidency. Republicans yeah. got the presidency. So Rutherford B. Hayes of Ohio becomes president. But we will give you what you want most desperately, which is political self-determination in the South. OK. Huh. And, and that's what and ends Reconstruction. That's now. what that's what ends Reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very because, interesting thing. Okay. Because you have you have large you have large white democratic, uniformly democratic majorities in the South that are being ruled at that time by a combination of white and black Republican in the whole context of things right, right. minorities. I do want to look so, at that all at yeah. some point. How much yeah. does Michigan as a literal police state in which free elections are not allowed uh, how much does that existing now as a thing affect, say, the Trump line of Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, uh, undoing the 270 and blah, blah, blah? Like if we actually yeah. go to well, – what's the plan? Did, did Michigan disappearing uh, undo the plan? I don't, I don't even mm. know. Mm. You know? Yeah. I think the options are like multifarious because – there's both the constitutional stuff that we've talked about before. So Pence could say, well, I don't, I don't recognize any of the votes. Right. Right. There's a, a, a big part of the disagreement is what is actually in the vice president's power. And right. that is not determined. And the problem is that the, the act passed in the 1880s to fix what was a mass in 1876 is, is itself a mess. Mm -hmm. So it's simply not clear what powers Mike Pence has. Wait, so, so more bylaws didn't make it clear. Are you, I've never experienced no. that before. It, usually <laughs> right. it all just more yeah, clear, right. more laws, right. more obvious, right? Yeah, I, I, exactly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. So it's not, it's not clear what power he has. If he just said, well, I don't recognize any of these votes. Obviously that's going to take away from Biden's total. And you could wind up with Trump being recognized as president. You, well, I think a, a contingent election is probably a bad idea because then it gets thrown into the house but the issue here becomes very important that if we vote by states the fact that the democrats have tons of people from california or tons of people from new york doesn't matter right because republicans have a majority of states in the same sense that trump won like a vast majority of counties right 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 right, right. so yeah oh that, that was such a good point it completely uh, left me from where i was before because i wanted to oh, shoot if i can get it so it's, I mean, I, I, I still don't, I mean, like, oh, this is it. Go, go yeah. ahead to get yours. I'll, I'll hold mine. Okay. If everyone plays just kind of by accepted rules, Biden is president. If they continue not playing by accepted rules or not actually like caring that much about what might happen in the courts, who knows? Well, and that's where what I said, I think, in our previous episode comes down to it is you know, who are the brass really with? Since we are yep. a bank that runs a casino but makes it all work with the military, it, <laughs> I think the military has to be on par with whatever happens next. And any attempt to coup by the Trump administration, as the news sometimes wants to yell about, 
is just so impossible. I just don't know. I mean, who would he, he would have to have an actual military coup? And if he has right. that, then we can yell all we want, and it doesn't matter what happens. You know, it's a military coup at, at, with a world power is going to be what it is. Um, so, so I, I think we're kind of stuck with that. But my principle that I wanted to bring up is, yeah. I mean, here's the thing: if I'm if I'm like the VP at this point. What I'm seeing is that there are states that have cheated or states that have become places for cheating, and at least three of them have gotten to the point where I'll get two sets of ballots. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you don't for the just basically say to honor the rights of all the other states. These three states here obviously aren't part of this election. And like Mm -hmm. for history's sake, like that's the decision, man. That's the principal decision. You just and then history will judge the rest and we destroy ourselves or whatever. But the fact is we have three states where it's clear enough half the people think they're cheating. There's cheating going on somehow. So those states, they don't count this year. I think that's pretty fair. I think that'd be a good judge determining, oh, look, are the judges the priests again? You want to talk about a completely different topic. So twist it back into small businesses and the dark winter getting – Dark. Well, I think that the the thing that is related there there are sort of two things in what you suggested the vice president could or should do that are related to why I think small business has suffered so much and what the shape of the future might be based on what we're seeing. One of those is an attachment to procedure, an accepted procedure that becomes increasingly absurd or strange, right? So an attachment to procedure, if Mike Pence just said, okay, constitutionally, my job is just to open envelopes, right? <laughs> Properly certified envelopes. Like in, in a sense, he's sort of a glorified- For such a, pu- ti- for such a time as this, I've become yeah. a robot, right? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. like I, I, I'm just kind of a glorified you know, notary public, right? Uh, that- com- comrade. Well, yeah, and I, I think you <laughs> you saw that in the lawsuit Texas v. Pennsylvania um, about certification of the Electoral College and everything like that, is that in a very typical move for the Roberts court, you had an attachment to procedures. So they made no ruling about whether or not there had been electoral fraud and therefore whether or not, you know, a Republican form of government had actually been guaranteed to the states, okay? They avoid talking about something big like that. Right. And they're going to talk instead about uh, timing. Texas and the, uh, timing and standing. Right. Which it, now what I heard is that that's their way of avoiding a case. They think they can't like, this is the inner Supreme court conservative workings. Uh, they think they can't win this one. So they find a loophole to get it out because they have another yeah. one they want to deal with, or they think this would set bad precedent in their own agenda. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care, I guess. I mean, that's that's like like divining the impossible to try to right. figure that one out. Right. Right. Um, what right. is is what is. You said that the Roberts court is going to be about minutia, and that's how they're yeah. going to rule when it comes to right. it. And right. um, so God bless the boomers, and may they not burn the planet before they are away. So, there's, there's, the, there's, there's that attachment to procedure, which – which I think is good if you're trying to sort of like run a contentious meeting of let's say 40 people and you're like, these are the rules. We're going to stick by the rules so that things stay. But the problem is that when procedure is masking something deeper, which is sort of the other thing I want to talk about. Right. And then this will get us into small business because I think that you have ongoing procedure that, that, that has, much worse effects and there's something else going on because there's something else going on is that unless you are completely asleep at the wheel, which I admit 
it appears large portions of humanity can be in, in many life but circumstances. Let's just say drunk on the TV. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, well, I mean, that's it. It's what it is. That, and and um, I thought you meant people like actually inebriated, like on live television, which made me think about. Oh, the, that's uh, funny. The the messy bun lady at the at the Michigan uh, electoral hearings. No, I'm just gonna who, say that the people yeah, who are who but, are who no, are drinking mean, yeah. three to five hours of TV a night are probably right. drunk when it comes to uh, contemporary awareness. Uh, you know. Yeah, and I, I think I think that plays into kind of the other thing going on that's going on both in our politics and also in how small business is faring, which is that as as procedures continue to operate in a country that has more than enough of them, plenty of bylaws, and some people are still attached to those things, simultaneously you have uh, a process whereby certain classes of people are designated at, or certain ideas, but more often classes, and I think more dangerously classes of people are designated as enemies. And both the TV, but also all other forms of media tell you that if they object to something, it is a priori wrong or invalid or stupid or, or, or maybe actually evil. Mm-hmm. And so if I object that elections were not carried out rightly uh, what you have been inoculated against with my objection is that I am a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to now investigate anything I'm saying because I am a conspiracy theorist. This is, I think, precisely what is happening with small business right now. And sometimes you see it because people will become openly hostile and say that, you know, your suffering is invalid, okay, because people are dying or whatever. Your financial suffering, the fact that your small business, your restaurant, your gym, but I would say this is a much longer process. That's part of what we're going to talk about today. Your thing that you run on your own is necessarily less important than the suffering that I've been told is going on. Right. Going back to something children that and grandparents dying yeah, by right. the by the by the billions, I think right by seven billion <laughs> didn't didn't the guy say at one point it was seven billion? <laughs> that's something like that. Like we elected him, right? Yeah. After yeah. he said and that, I think that's we, it's a fact. We elected him theoretically, it's a, yeah, and, right. and, and it's a fact that that it's that many dying. And I so I think I, I yeah <laughs> no I I, Sorry, I think I think that what what you're what what you're seeing is that small business is something that indubitably has suffered this year mm. because simply because it's been forced to not be open. And in many places, those are shutting down again. So they have months of lost revenue earlier in this calendar year, and they have more to come. And they're just, they're not going to make it, right? So this is but, where the current policy is going to make what it's saying it's protecting from happen basically you're going to have people getting hungrier because of this you're gonna have people having less healthy or sick lives because of this process because you're gonna have less people with income and work uh the ability to even have a job other than to go and sit in the bread line right right which is I jumped too far yeah. with that probably. But. No, you didn't because I think short term, that is the self-fulfilling prophecy. And that goes back to the sort of dual meaning of dark winter. If dark winter is meant by, you know, our pr- prospectively incoming administration, although they're still not kind of allowed to act as if they're incoming. So that's, it, it's all a big mess, right? 
if dark winter means COVID numbers, what, what it, what it very concretely means in the short term and what it has meant, at least in other countries is the inescapable rise this year of mental health problems, Mm -hmm. of suicides, of economic suffering, right? Okay. That's a short-term thing. I think the long-term self-fulfilling prophecy is that these people who are currently designated and their businesses are designated as non-essential, which some of this has been sort of darkly hilarious because when Eric Garcetti shut down Los Angeles, okay, that shut down restaurants, that shut down gyms where people get healthier, presumably, but he didn't shut down you know, so good news for us. He didn't shut down podcasters. Right. Along right. with movie companies, podcasters were an essential business. So are in Los Angeles. <laughs> so anyway. I totally need to get out and about all the time. I just felt so vindicated. You know what I'm saying? Like, like even though Joe Rogan moved to Texas, we, you and I could move to Los Angeles and we would still be we, safe. We'd still be okay. Right. We could get DoorDash and we could, we could run our business here. So. But the, no, but see there, we're not running a business though. And that, that's the thing as well. They're essential <laughs> right. there. The reason Rogan and Shapiro are leaving is because to run a business, there is not. It's just too expensive. Wise. Yeah. It's yeah. Not wise. Right. But so, so you're, are, are you alluding to that the non-essential lists that we saw earlier this year it's not like it's a dark plan to remove these things. It's just like there's no real plan from the elites to keep these things. And right. if they happen to yeah. fall away in the need for us to move toward our green global reset that we like up here, then, well, you guys will deal with it in a generation or two, I'm sure. So it'll be fine. So is that kind of right. the, the, the yeah, idea? Yeah, right. Exactly. Because I, I think that the whole notion of the, the great reset is just explicitly what people are saying they're going to do. It's like a policy document similar to, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory to say that the U.S. Navy has completely reoriented around what it understands to be the problem of China. Like, there are publicly available documents that say this stuff. And I, I think a lot of conspiracy theorists go wrong when they attribute far too much agency to power. I think something you can see from, for instance, the 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 revelations not just about Eric Swalwell sleeping with a Chinese agent, but with a lot of this is really sad Midwestern mayors also being caught up by the same woman. Okay, the issue there is not lonely. that our elites, I, lonely I, yeah, guys. they're, they're lonely guys. I I think that please do not overestimate the intelligence or the planning capacity of our elites. Hmm. These are not people who are building the Hoover Dam. Hmm. Or the or or who are inventing the airplane or something. I, I would suggest that the ones actually out in front talking are to some level complete fools, uh, really like stooge yeah, level right. fools. Like right. in a conversation, right. look at Harris. I think she's actually just kind of like that. That that yep. really is who she is. And whoa, like it's been a while right. since she's had a real conversation with people, you know, and, and that, that world there, I've been, I've been pondering this from a biblical point of view. There's this idea that once you start lying in a community and, and let the truth kind of fudge in a corner, eventually yeah. you have to let it fudge everywhere. So all anyone is ever doing is lying to each other, but they don't think that they all think they're kind of on the inside, wink, winking each other. And yeah. eventually Babylon falls is what right, happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think like short term, very obviously, COVID restrictions are favoring very large enterprises that can keep operating for a variety of reasons over small ones that can't. The long-term effects of that, which I want to talk about, are not things that I think our powers that be 
understand or no. contemplate or think much about. Because so if let me you, say if, one. Let me jump in. Yeah, on, I want you to do that. Okay. But okay, so you said agency. And I just want to recognize for both you and I, we don't not attribute any agency to any of this. We just don't attribute the agency to humans usually. And then from yep. there, like let's just let that one be and, and keep going. Yeah, well, because I think if you look at the track records of people that are in charge of things, generally, they haven't done a whole lot with their lives, or they haven't done sometimes anything, right? So just comparing Herbert Hoover, whom no one remembers, and who gets unilaterally blamed for the Great Depression, to, to Kamala Harris, who probably, I think, based on my estimation of Biden's cognitive decline, I think Kamala Harris will be a very important vice president if she's inaugurated, right? Right is that Herbert Hoover spends his life prior to being elected to the presidency, built, I mean, literally building things. He's an engineer. He's a, he's a mining engineer. He can build things. And he relieved an enormous amount of hunger and poverty in Europe after the First World War. Hmm. He has concretely done things prior to being elected to office. There's like a dam named after him and stuff, too. Well, yeah, that one's named. But I mean, he himself was an engineer. Doing that before. kind of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so... With Harris, what you see almost uniformly in our elites is, is is rampant credentialism. And credentialism doesn't mean that education is bad. It means that you place much more value on the appearance of knowing or the appearance of authority than on actual accomplishment. And your accomplishments may be completely contradictory to what your appearance is, right? So Kamala Harris's appearance, especially as an intersectional uh, you know, candidate, woman, black, but not American, black, uh, Asian, uh, not East Asian, but South Asian. All of that contradicts what I think a lot of people, at least on the thinking left, voted for. I mean, look at the things that she actually did as California Attorney General. It's the opposite of everything they want. It's the opposite of what they want. And they may or may not know that. They may or may not be ignoring what they do know. So what you're dealing with is that in the short term, when, when so many people so obviously have short-term thinking, they're just moving from one thing to the other. It's the same thing with Obama's career, never one place for very long, not doing a whole lot in that place, but getting booted up upstairs once more. That short-term thinking, you don't, you don't have to say like, oh, here's their plan for 20 years from now. You know, they don't have a plan for 20 years from now. They don't have a plan for what they're going to do for small business 20 years from now. It, it's not, these are not people who think long-term. No, no. You just buy the 76 trombones and then the band will work itself out once they all arrive. Uh, it's, it's, it's an old, right. old, old con, if I'm not mistaken. So again, demonization or demonization uh, yeah. or demonetization, uh, yeah. which one are we going toward here? Well, I think... When we're talking about demonization, what what I mean specifically with small business is that small business owners are experiencing something that other classes of people have already experienced in American history and, and lots of other histories. And that is that your suffering is becoming illegitimate. Okay. And once you're and, and I think this is common to kind of human groups. I don't think this is unusual, but because it happened in other situations, I think it has a lot of bearing on our future. So if small business owners say, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna lose my business, my employees are gonna lose everything they have, etc., your suffering is illegitimate because you are resisting lockdowns and lockdowns are necessary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to go over all of that again. 
they are now in a class of people that is the opposite. If you think about it this way, they're the opposite of a protected class. Right, right, right. So, so a protected class, no matter what I say, or no matter what I observe in their behavior or their, or their words or anything, they, they cannot be criticized. Okay. And in different parts of your life, you could belong to a protected class. So you could be a white male, but if you're a veteran, that, that's kind of helpful. But it's much more helpful if you were like a Latinx lesbian veteran. That would be much more helpful to you legally and kind of in, in terms of social well, clout. Politically and being able to run for office when you're back. Yeah, and totally. You right. Exactly. You got to so, have bodily injury as a white male, too. I'm not kidding. Yeah, and no, I you're like right. The guy. I like the guy. But, I mean, that's part of it. Yeah, Crenshaw, Madison Cawthorn in, in North Carolina is similar. Oh, okay, yeah, um, okay. And uh, he's a, he's in a wheelchair, right? Yeah, so right. you you can you can be kind of a, a a strong presenting white male and even a Republican, but you have to you know that that disability is actually kind of politically helpful right. because you you're not be part of a group that's not just the white males. Yes, basically. because you're not you're not coming off as a cisgendered heterosexual white male who is conservative, which is right. kind of that's that's on the outs. The issue here is that I think demonization occurs during times of great political change and sometimes before times of great upheaval. And this is why I think attachment to procedure is fine under other political circumstances. And it's it's not going to be all that helpful on any level of government in the immediate future, because I think that it, it, it would mask dealing with the actual problem. So let me give you let me give you a historical example before we kind of zip back to today. This is much bigger than small business owners. The historical example is that right right before our civil war, I hope it's only our I hope it's our only civil war, right before our civil war, something that you can observe in the late 1850s is that rhetoric changes drastically. So they don't have Twitter, you know, they don't have Facebook but they do have newspapers and significant amounts of people uh, who in the 1830s, 1840s, like disagreed with each other, suddenly cannot, they simply cannot stand each other, mm -hmm. right? Which is why you get vows prior to the election in 1860, that if this or that happens, we're going to do this or that. The re the, that's, and, and pleading for civility just isn't going to work because asking people to be nice when they cannot stand each other is papering over things that have to be discussed or dealt with and, and, and for whatever reasons cannot be. So I'm not saying that they're trying, you know, anyone specifically is trying, setting out, waking up every day saying, I want to destroy the United States. But I am saying <laughs> that a lack of long-term planning has gotten us to a place where we have differences that are becoming politically irreconcilable. Right, right, right. Publicly okay. irreconcilable. And publicly irreconcilable. Because, okay, so what, what, you have to, what you have to imagine is that America is a place that over the course of the 20th century has become vastly different than it was in a lot of ways. One of those ways is that the role of small manufacturing, that is what we would now call, did not then, would now call a small business. Something with fewer than a couple hundred employees, could be two, could be 150, it's small. 
we move from a model where America has a lot of that spread all over the country, which is why if you ever go to like an antique store, you'll find what you think of maybe in your region as no account little towns. And they're, you know, marking, it'll say whatever, um, you know, this plow or this piece of machinery or this was made in this really obscure place that now only has like 215 people. Mm -hmm. That is spread all over the country. The country is composed of small enterprise and the farming is similarly small. It's small in scale. It's relatively small in distribution. We move from that to increasing levels of conglomeration pretty much everywhere. And from conglomeration, we move also into um, offshoring uh, a lot of that. In fact, in some industries, basically all of that, Mm -hmm. right? So um, an industry that Americans pioneered really in the world is tools that make other tools, machine tool industry that starts as very small enterprises. It's now almost entirely gone. Yeah, right. That was Rockford. Screw City. That's what they did. And so that that notion of being able to build and to build things locally, not just for other people, but also because other people want the stuff that you build, being able to build up your community, that's been gone for a long time. Once upon a time, wasn't this also tied to, like, if we needed a military retrofit for the country, this would, would serve that capacity and, and right. uh, especially if you're thinking land war, maybe the idea is yeah. there's no, not going to be a land war. <laughs> um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, right. I mean, you have, those are, those are capacities that you simply don't have anymore. You don't have anyone who can do that. This is why. It's how we I won World War Two. It is. And I think, I think, I think this, this is why talking about collapse as if it's in the future seems kind of silly to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Because we have objectively lost, especially manufacturing capacities, industrial capacities, engineering capacities that we used to have that we don't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, th- I think significantly when we're, when we're talking about, okay, well, what has been shut down, right? It's interesting that we're always bringing up like restaurants and gyms, which are, f- which are totally fine. And I'm sad that those things have been shut down. I think it's telling that those are the things that everyone can think of Hmm. because I'm sure there are other things that have been shut down or if they weren't commanded to be shut down because they're factories and you're wearing all this equipment and you're spread out anyway, and you have CNC machines and all this kind of stuff that that has been shut down because of global logistical changes that are affecting things like food supplies, especially in third world countries. Um, but also are affecting orders for things that American businesses do still make, both here and around the world. And so the economic effects are knock-on effects, but they're not really, I think, different from what has happened to a lot of American industry, especially stuff that wasn't absolutely enormous. So U.S. Steel, Ford Motor Company, things much smaller than that, which used to be everywhere, right? I mean, New York City used to make things. It was primarily industrial. Yeah, right. right? Salsa too, I think, according to one commercial. But anyway, that's, that's a way <laughs> <Okay>. out. <laughs> that has been going on for a long time. So in that way, I, I'm, I'm looking at COVID and COVID restrictions and stuff. I'm trying to look at it in a long-term way, yeah. at least regarding the past, because there's a lot of continuity where because of some sort of short-term political or financial imperative and you know, probably partly because their donors are going to much more likely be 
Jeff Bezos, then, you know, the guy that owns a tool and die shop somewhere in the middle of Ohio, the short-term restrictions are what they are. The long-term effects are going to be, I think, much like what has happened to much of America's industry for a very long time. So keep going on that. I mean, I, I, it, it's dark. And you know, you know, how much do we need to repeat the ominous reality that we know business in America is not good at the moment? Uh, okay. Even even some of our biggest yeah. corporations, the ones that we still, in theory, were leading the world, Boeing, um, yeah. eh, maybe not. You know, uh, it seems things are crumbling on the inside there all over the place. Yep. So, yep. you know, yep. where are we? Even our too big to fails are going to be failing. What do we do to make the food come in? Yeah. That, that's that's yeah. my question. Right. Is, right. I mean, yeah, you're talking I, about getting technology and, and uh, all these other things, but <laughs> when the food supply chain gets buckled globally, I'm just not yeah. assuming it's not going to impact us at all. Okay. And I'm yeah, not yeah, assuming right, right, that right. those up on top have a plan in place. I'm pretty sure they don't. Right. So that's and where I, I'm at. I, I think that necessity here will become the mother of invention. So, I mean... <laughs> In telling you what we're going to talk about today, you know, I said dark, but I mean, I, I guess I just don't have it in me to do that for a whole hour because I, because I see if we can, if we can see the things that are happening short term that look like a lot of other things long term, then we can react short term and for the long term. Yes. Because, because so two, two examples of that. One is if I can see that food is becoming more insecure than it was in the past. I know that when similar things happened, especially deindustrialization, but happened kind of more spectacularly and all at once in what was about to not be the Soviet Union anymore, average people responded by growing food in a way that really only their grandparents had done. Right. Right. So if I can no longer depend on all of that coming in, I want to be able to have things that I can do in the future that will be productive for me and mine and maybe for other people, too. Right. right so right. like, I mean, a, a really kind of uh, impressive example of this is the success of Japanese farmers in California hmm. historically. Uh, way out of proportion to their numbers. And they did that because they didn't ask like, okay, what are people going to give me? They came somewhere new and they said, what can I do with what's here? What is interesting to me as a wrinkle right now is zoning laws in most of these areas that we're talking about, including mm -hmm. where I'm at right now, um, yeah. you know, where you can do this, but not do that. And like, right. you're starving. You're like, right. so, but I can also see our, if this happened in the next five to seven years in some sort of real way, I can see areas of the country where they're shutting down family farms because of whatever, mm -hmm. because they just, they, yeah. for policy reasons, not out of malice, right? This is where like the policy gets mm. so detailed that there's a, 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 a loophole here, which is why we have to shut you down mm -hmm. and no one yeah. can even hear the cry, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, again, I, I think my real future prediction is we got five years of awkward and frustrating, followed by another generation of one more chance before we hit the wall. Um, but that's just my guess, right? Um, uh, I'm saying that so we can have some hope. Uh, I'm not going into all this conversation or coming out of this conversation assuming that the, the sky is falling. Like you said, I want to pivot and make my new short-term reactions long-term in a different direction right. and plan for coming out the other side in a couple of years with who knows what the country looks like, but I'm pretty sure that we'll be able to live uh, without the, quite the, I don't know, the oppression we're feeling right now. That's a, a, yeah. a guess. It's a guess. <laughs> well, I, I think the, the, the sense of being enclosed, being locked down, some of that is 
some of that is simply like what is being enforced on you in mm-hmm. public, depending on where you live. Some of that is also continuing attention to things that are basically unproductive to care about, Yeah, you know? And so they're not telling you to go outside and grow your own food and, you know, get plenty of good exercise, gardening, and then eat healthy food. They're not telling you that you could focus on that right now. Similarly, they're not telling you to start thinking long-term about things that could be built. And I think that that's, that's kind of the other prong that long-term you want to think about regardless of what your interests or your capabilities are, because it's not just about continuing to be able to get a W-2 at the end of the year. It's also about building businesses, technologies, small local institutions that can be preserved because the processes that, that built them and that keep them what they are, are not dependent upon the continuing good functioning of all the structures around us. This, is, this would be the opposite of how you were told to go to college and move across the country for a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not because education or college is bad, but simply because it, it presumes the existence of a lot of other stuff outside it and around it, and which is, which is itself going away. Stability, yeah, yeah, yeah. predictability, the rule of law, Etc. I'm going to try to tell a little story to kind of help with that, I think. So yeah. we, we got five kids and we're trying to raise all of them to consider that the best thing they can do for themselves and for their children is to work together to make a thriving community here. And that um, in general, to leave is not ideal unless one mm-hmm. needs to. But then yeah. here's the thing. So, you know, if, if the future is going to be kind of like you're thinking um, and like I'm thinking, I think we're both on the same page. I could, could see a day where we've got to take one of our brightest boys and we've got to send him up to the university system and prep him like dude they're gonna try to brainwash mm-hmm. you to get ready yeah, um prep him right. so he can come back as a doctor later not to open a practice with all the rules but just to like keep some people from dying for his mm-hmm. you know, his job yeah. you know for cows and chickens and trade and whatever um yeah. i don't i mean again to me that's such a radical turn from the 70s and 80s that i grew up in it's still hard to believe i'm saying these things mm-hmm. i don't think yeah. it's going to come upon my life that fast i'd love for you to disagree with me just so i can tell everyone else i'm not that crazy but i do think it's going to come upon the lives of either our children or our grandchildren and that's why the mm-hmm. short pivot for the long haul is what i'm talking about with you I, and i think mm-hmm. i think you're with me on pretty much that way of seeing it not mm-hmm. to say that there is no darkness coming short term. I mean, it's going to be a rough couple of years here. Yeah. You said hope you don't have a civil war. I mean, that's the, yeah, right. That's the alternative. Yeah, right. That is. <laughs> it's pretty dark. I I think that the the difference is just is is not really that you like. Okay, now you just want your kids to like survive, and we're going to be you know building lean tos in the woods and hoping we don't get you know found by the secret police. I think the difference especially in terms of the United States, because it, it is a continent. This mm. is a, this is a huge country is that you are looking just for life on a different scale. You don't, you don't need to succeed in every venue nationwide. I think about this a lot with our church body, which is still, right, right. you know, because of organizational reasons, obsessed with being nationwide and, and doesn't understand. Line. Yeah. Right. And, and kind of normal, right. You don't need to do that anymore. You, mm-hmm. you have the freedom basically to be Amish now. You can mm-hmm. be weird because the issue is that if you try to be normal and you 
already don't belong to a protected class or you belong to the wrong protected class. So if you're East Asian rather than Hispanic, you know, I don't know, like you're, you, you might be, you might have a little too much privilege. Right. So just don't worry about it. You're like crazy rich already, I guess. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Don't, I mean, the, the issue is that demonization works when people allow it to work. Okay, so if they're going to demonize small business owners, that only has to matter if you're letting anything about your life be governed by the fact that you're demonized or that people want you to demonize somebody else. It only it only works as long as you let it work and you let it matter. And by let it, I don't just mean that this is like a psychological trick. Like I woke up today and decided I didn't care. That's easier for some than others. I also mean that when you build institutions that give you both material, but also spiritual value this is what i get up for every day mm-hmm. yeah you begin to care less and less and less about what other people say about you or your group or your family or what you spend your time doing it just doesn't matter the way it used to and a lot of people's sadness or anger or rage against other groups of people or something in america really is governed by their caring about what they're told in the media or their misunderstanding of who another group is or something like that, you don't have to. And it's really, it, in a literal sense, it is not productive to do so because that keeps you locked into a life defined by what you are consuming and how that's governing your attitudes mm. rather than a life defined by what you actually do for other people. If you think about it in terms of religion, but from like a purely secular viewpoint here, right? So that the amount of time you spend, say, listening to something or letting a story tell you how to feel, if you just kind of equate that with worship, just pretend that's worship for a second for the sake of the argument, and then ask you like, like, what is your religion right now? How much worship and time are you giving to the myth from far away about this and that? And right. how much time are you giving to the story you can see and touch with your hands? And, yeah. and again, right. none of that's Christianity. That's just like common sense, I think. Right. Um, uh, right. You know, even though I use a lot of Christian typology there. But um, yeah, the the real and the present versus the far away. Uh, I've been on a, on a diet of fewer movies and video games, and I, I plan to continue that pretty strenuously. Um, the, the thing that keeps rattling around my head now as I think back on even like I really, really did enjoy the, the first timeline of the Marvel series. I thought it was a, mm-hmm. a masterpiece of film development because I, I study film the way you do. Right. I think it's an amazing tool that can be used for tremendous power and has been usually for evil. But I thought that was an, an amazing series and in many ways because at the pinnacle of it was the rejection of nihilism. It, it ended with a statement that the kind of harsh, cold love that Thanos brings, uh, which is what we're actually seeing now kind of combined in the way we see our, our world working, uh, that was rejected by the heroes. And so I mm. think our spirit as a people is, is still there in that. Um, but I think back again, though, about all these people, these characters who aren't even – people uh captain america who's not even captain america he's some actor who now really wants to be politically involved because he's a good kid and cares mm-hmm. and he's gonna go to washington mm-hmm. like mr smith and all this but but it's yeah. like the more i put it I, I i see these things after being off him for a couple of months of just kind of a fast i'm just like why did i even care 
why did I even? I mean, they're interesting. They're cool. It's yeah. cool. I like yeah. Tolkien still. I'm going to read him again. I think he's he's, mm-hmm. he's a massive impact on our again the way we foresee our heroes or that we imagine that we can right. be. And so I think that's really good. But what's not so good is assuming that whatever anybody just did that was big and everyone's saying this one's good. I don't think I care. I think I care about something that's been around maybe for 20 years and everyone says is good in 20 years. Maybe I care about that mm-hmm. one a bit more. And trying to look at all the information that way so that I don't get so blown off course by, well, again, 2020. Yeah. Yeah? And that's what has made you the one, the person you are. When you talk and we listen to you, it's because you've just read so much out of our timeline. That really is a big part of what you have that we don't, honestly. I, yeah, the the epidemic of short-term thinking is, I think, the, the, probably the, the, the most crushing thing for human beings about it is that it makes you it paralyzes you potentially, or it enrages you and makes you not think about what the consequences of what you're doing or saying are going to be. I mean, the process of demonization of other human beings that is saying that they, they simply need to be destroyed or all of their suffering is illegitimate or something. The thing that that does is it usually winds up with people doing things that have enormous long-term consequences that no one knows at the time, no one can foresee, not the demonized or the demonizers. And for me, that is far more destructive than almost anything you can imagine for the long term, because it means that now the things that I'm doing in the present are not in view of any good that anyone, not even me, not even me and my own, are going to enjoy in the future. It's totally different from planting seeds where I'm practicing patience and I'm setting up for a future that maybe I can't even see. There is, I mean, I, I, I think the irony and I, I just, you know, we don't usually I just speak strictly in theological terms here is that the irony that I think people can see because they can see it in the contorted faces of the enraged. They can see it in how people react and how they have, almost everybody has been conditioned by social media to have, split second reactions of Mm -hmm. rage or delight. There is something I think literally demonic in the short term nature of life. Hmm. And I think this goes all the way down to attention spans because it makes the person like a demon in being unable to love someone else and unable to think about the long-term good of someone else. I mean, in theological terms, demons are are the ultimate short-term thinkers because they do not think about how salvation would be good in the long-term for every human being. They don't care about consequences. They don't. They don't. They just want power. And in the short term, that is achievable if you scream loud enough or you point a gun at the person. Power is immediately achievable. The real question is, is it good for that person or you to actually do that right now in the short term? Long-term thinking, thinking that builds and living that builds for other people, whether it's machine tools or farms that produce food that you can actually eat that's not just intended for like you know, seed oils. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The, um, the impossible burger, which remains yeah. impossible, actually. It might taste <laughs> right. all right, but it ain't yeah. food. It's still not a burger. No. Um, all of that is, I think, something that is that is so basically human, long-term thinking, so basically human and so basically good. It's like what distinguishes but, us from the animals. Exactly. And the thing that worries me is that in public, even our very best people are being conditioned to be short-term. They're being conditioned to seek comfort 
or they're conditioned to seek rage or whatever it is that, you know, your, your scrying stone is telling you right now, that's what you're doing. That's what you're feeling. That's how you are. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you keep going. It, it, uh, you're, you're calling to mind for me a number of proverbs that I've read recently, you know, that with the news comes much trouble, I think is one of them. And uh, that, that a fool, um, uh, uh, I'm going to say it poorly, but it's basically a fool lets his heart be known right away. Uh, you know, that, yeah. that, uh, the definition of a fool is that what he feels is what he says. And that, that's what you're saying we're being conditioned to be. Now, you don't have to believe the Bible's true to think that it's foolish to just have everyone you know, have no filter. Like, like we're, that, we don't like people with no filter, right? Well, that's what we're yeah. training ourselves to be. And I guess the, the thing is, Adam, um, most of the people who are trying to f- understand these things are doing it in real time as if things are always – the same as if the populace that we're dealing with is thinking with the same literacy and intellectual fervor that say three years ago they could or and that they will use in three more years and my supposition is that we're on a pretty um uh, standard uh curve slope where the stupefaction is on the ramp up and to some level, I think you might have whole groups of people with lost linguistic capabilities because they're only going to be able to Good. talk in TV slogans. And, right. uh, you know, public yeah, education will it. fail them entirely. Right, right, right. So um, I don't know where I was going with that other than that it very much applies to this entire scenario that if you don't want to be stupider, you have to get out of the stupefying machine and at least create some sort of antidote. Uh, I have – I continue to think of any time I spend on the internet, on the TV, and a movie, and a video game now, I'm in the Matrix. I want to go back to the ship with the brown porridge and live in that instead because that's real. But I'll go into the Matrix, but when I'm there, I'm in danger. My brain is in jeopardy because this machine is built to take me over. And as long as I know that, I'm I'm not as worried about it now. And I had to come to that conclusion to go back in. That's why I was afraid to use stuff for like two months. I'm like, I don't want to lose my head again. I know what that was like. Right. All of this is, you know, my own journey here in the in the public. But you were really affirming me there a moment ago, so maybe you can keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what what you're what you're what you're looking at is I don't know how fast the process of dumbing down has happened. I don't know exactly what people were like if you asked them something sixty years ago, some sort of complex question. I don't really think this is about like knowing how the electoral college works or something. No, no. I was first struck by this when I was watching TV one time. It was a PBS documentary and it was about the Amish and they don't put their faces on the screen because you're not supposed to have your face on a camera if you've been baptized in the Amish church. But you had an 18 year old girl explaining why she decided to be baptized when she was 16. The Amish don't do infant baptism. And she was speaking in, she was using Bible words, but she was speaking in complete sentences and sort of deeply about what she thought life was about. Yeah. And I was, and that, that's probably the first time that I thought about the role of media in how we have become, because I don't, I don't think this is just about like the lying mainstream media says this, but I'm telling you that please listen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Look it's at my more about, instead. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm going to sell you some Berkey water filters now. Pretty much. Um, well, hey, those work though. That's good water. They do, that's, that's right. The, the issue is that you're, 
your spirit is completely shaped by what you take in. And the way that our system works is that it puts everyone, regardless of his protected status or not, or his leftism or rightism or not, whatever, it puts him in a category of someone who is only capable of short term. And when you're only capable of short term, which is why our elites, I think, are only capable of short term. I, mm -hmm. I don't I don't sincerely believe they're as smart as people think they are. They're just fighting for January right now. They are. When it when when it makes you like that, you are already enslaved. You don't really have to wait to lose your job. You don't have to wait to, you know, get a, do, a somewhat dubious vaccine. You don't you don't have to wait for any of those things to enslave you. You're already enslaved because your spirit has been made very, very, very small by what you take in. And so, yeah, I mean, you're going to wind up with really like a, a warped, stupid sense of things like history, like what mattered, what happened when, who was important. I see this every time people say something like, who are some really important Americans? And they name somebody that is like literally just a meme from the past five years, like something like, you know, like uh, they, they think that like entertainers are really right, important, right, American, right, you know, right. not the guy who like, you know, Bono. Invented, uh, Bono. Yeah, he's a really, really <laughs> important one. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Or like movie stars. Yeah. Uh, you know, not the movie, can, you know, Edison. I don't know. But th that's going to be true. People are going to be like demonstrably dumb when they say things. But my concern is not that everyone become like, you know, a certain IQ level. or something. Right, right, right. That's, that's silly. I want people to have lives that are meaningful to them. Well, this like, is where I think that I'm going to interrupt because the, so, so no, recognizing that there's going to be people who are going to be physically more stupid than you because of their diet of media should change the way you try to yeah. reason with them. In yeah. fact, you should probably not try to reason with them. You should try to love them. You should try yeah. to be kind to them. You should try to help them. Just don't try to reason with them, at least not about complex things, because you're just going to get frustrated and then be unable to help them, which is really what you want to do. And that's where I think coming to terms with the egalitarian lie with regard to brain power, not because natively all men are stupid or there's some that are more stupid, but we're literally poisoning the well right now. And if mm -hmm. we don't own that, then we're going to blow ourselves up. And so yeah. you have to own it. There's people out there that aren't thinking. And until you can admit that to yourself, you're going to keep being frustrated, not understanding why they don't understand. And right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, regardless of kind of who you are, you know, how, you know, how smart you are at different things in life or whatever, if you're a human being, you're actually, you are, the, the fact that you have a spirit means that you are you are meant for something other than creature comforts. That's why we call them creature comforts because there's something a little bit subhuman about them and certainly about being devoted to them. You can achieve something meaningful in life in any variety of ways, maybe as many different ways as there are human beings. The very thing that our way of life, such as it is, I don't mean like the American way of life, capital W, capital L, but the way that we are today is that sadly and sickly, it takes away not just sometimes institutions or businesses that give people meaning, right? I built, I, I built this, right? But it takes away on a daily basis for everybody, even the capacity to build things in your spirit, a sense of self, a sense of agency, a sense of purpose. 
And so it's, it's not at all unusual that conspiracy theories of all kinds flourish on the right and the left in our time because everyone recognizes that normal people don't have any agency. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they know why that is, but I think they recognize that it is. So you have conspiracies <laughs> surrounding why people are, you know, why these lockdowns are happening when and where. I would say that pretty much everything that goes under the name of white supremacy is a conspiracy theory about white people, as if somebody in you know, rural Kentucky is, you know, somehow in league. We, with we all, all get the white people newsletter on Mondays. That no one else knows <laughs> right. about make right, sure exactly. we get in line. Yeah. Right. Right. We yeah, are the but least, I... we are the least, we're so vanilla. It ain't even funny is really the, what people got to know about that one. But anyway, uh... so I, I, I think that I, the reason that conspiracy theories are often people's, you know, sense of politics and of history, whatever their opinions are is because they recognize that in their own life, on some level that they recognize that they don't have agency. They don't have control over their emotions. They don't have control over their time. They lose vast amounts of each day, like kind of wandering around, you know, the internet landscape. I mean, they're just kind of lost and they know it. And so at that point, when you are like that, or when life is like that, it's obviously the easiest thing in the world to say that someone else is responsible for everything. The problem is I can agree with you that someone else is responsible for a lot of things, but not for everything because you continue breathing and existing. And the thing that we're saying short-term and long-term is that you can begin to build, you can build right now for those things. It might be something as simple as changing how you use your phone or whether or not, or when during the day you use your phone. And eventually it could wind up with you building a business or something, but it has to start somewhere small. It starts with a story that you can do something about. So you have to stop having the stories you can't do anything about be the only stories you're listening to. And right. the TV is only stories you can't do anything about. So right. you need, unless you take notes, you take notes, you started doing something about it, actually. So frankly, just start taking notes while you're watching it. That would be to do something and begin to build. And again, but the, 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 the principal idea is try to let the story, you are wise enough now to create a dam a floodgate, a block, so you can canonize what stories you want to let in long enough to move your life. It only takes like a week and a half of stepping out of the noise and deciding what are the things I'm going to let tell me how to be who I am. I'm going to cut the rest of that stuff out. And I'm not kidding you. You can control the inputs. And the more you control the inputs, the more you're going to have the outputs be what you wanted to come out because you're controlling the inputs. Uh, Stories of no agency will leave you sad and depressed. So find some stories of agency. Christianity happens to be one, just in case you're looking. Um, But I think this show is also one in general because what you're saying is, and what I just said, take some notes. You're saying turn it off and do anything. Go for a walk, um, you know, buy a, I don't know, buy a book, <laughs> read a book. Yeah, and and the other the other thing that I think is maybe our probably our biggest technological hamster wheel that we're put on is to not be habitual about good things. That everything that is good becomes a kind of crisis intervention in a life that is habitually actually devoted to destructive short-term things, whether that is any of the varieties of addiction on offer, which will become... I mean, I don't know if you've ever More. noticed this, but yeah, yeah. Like if you're, if you're waiting for legalized opioids, just, just keep waiting. It's going to come, it's, you know, yeah, right. uh, if you want, you know, physician assisted suicide, just wait, it'll come. So if it's going to be destructive in short term, you'll be able to get it. Don't worry. Right. 
the problem is that things like taking a walk or eating right or something, these are all habitual things. Human beings are composed by their habits and your habits are not going to be furthered by anything other than you and the people around you that support you. Okay. Because the media, whatever it's slant or it's stories is not going to do that for you. It's going to feed you rage. It's going to feed you short term thinking. That's what it does. So I think if you're, you know, if you, can see that things are changing. The time for action is now because you want something better for your life and for the people around you. And um, don't be ashamed of however low scale or low level those changes have to be. I mean, I don't take for granted that people are able to like get out of bed and like look good and exercise every day, let alone that they would get married or have families or have anything to leave to their children. Right. So start as low level as you need to. There's no shame in that. None at all. Right. And once you've started now, you are now building something that is not short term, whether it's your health or your capacity to control your emotions or maybe a family or maybe a business or both. Right. So don't worry about how low level, you know, starting is all that you need to do to start kind of pushing back against all these things and being caught up in a news cycle that is, I think, always destructive. Yeah, I'm going to tell another story here that's completely different uh, in terms of context, but I think it'll illustrate the same point of small wins are way better than big goals. So when I was a kid, I remember being terribly embarrassed in, I think it was probably sixth grade, we had all the boys line up and we had to do pull-ups for the Presidential Physical Fitness Award. And I was an athletic kid, Mm -hmm. but I can only do like two and i felt really bad there was some kid he did like 20 yeah. his name was ryan right. i didn't even know ryan i don't know ryan anything else that kid did he did 20 bullets that kid was nuts and he was he was like a year older than us and everything but anyway yeah so a year ago and i, I picked this up from tim ferris but uh, i learned a trick that was precisely this on the small win uh approach and had to do with pull-ups so i bought a pull-up bar and i started doing it and all i did was i jumped and held my head up at the pull-up for you know a couple seconds and then lowered yeah. myself just generally slow um and i did that for about a week and a half uh went in did i think two or three pull-ups without trying hard and then just continued doing one a day then two a day i got all the way up to where i can max out about about 17 i stopped i probably couldn't do it again it's been quite a while but the point was the only way i got to like 17 pull-ups was i as an overweight man stood there jumped held the pull-up bar and lowered myself down as a small yeah. win and i did that once a day for several weeks. Now, maybe yeah. you're further down than I was on the track of where you got to pull yourself out of. That's fine. That's fine. Take the principle. Take the principle, not the tactic. The principle is what is the one thing you can do every day and you're you're it's too small for you not to do it. Like there's no way you'll fail at this one. It's it's embarrassing to yourself. You'll do it. And find right. that and build that change and then in a week or two re- recount it, right? And see if you yeah. don't have a have a shift happen. We've right. still got another 15 minutes here if you want to keep chatting about any other topic on uh, darkness being dark, darkest, uh, darkness being darkest just before the dawn. There, I got it out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how about, uh, again, though, I've said it, you know, three to five years, prepare for some suffering. I mean, okay. it, what is your own kind of just game plan as you're looking at the next couple of years? Where are you, and this is not prophecy, right? Your future is, mm-hmm. but you're kind of, you got to make mm-hmm. a call for your own life. What is it? Yeah, I think um, I used to think that the future was a lot more predictable than it is. And I, long term, I think that when I look back, I will see this year as one of the best years of my life. Not in, not in the sense of it's been like pleasant or nice or people haven't been, 
enormously weird or disappointing. It's been a true <laughs> but, year, though. It's been a true year. Yes, it has been a year of truth, ironically, and and despite media coverage. Mm-hmm. So, in looking back at it, it has clarified many things for me and given me a sense of what is actually important. Mm-hmm. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. What people are important, what things are important, all the stuff that I just said, I probably couldn't have said last year, even though I probably thought it, but I didn't think it with the clarity or the sense of personal purpose that I do now. For the next couple of years, my plan is no longer attached to specific uh, concrete things you could put on a resume, let's say, like I did this here and then. Um, It's more attached to building capacities for myself and people around me um, that I think for the next 20, 40, 60 years will actually be valuable. Let me translate that. So as opposed to say career pathing, you're more uh, real-time strategizing mm, life, (laughs) you know, food. Uh, and, and recognizing that right now the career is part of that, right? But that the world we're heading toward maybe doesn't have career pathing for everybody. Yeah. No, no, because career path presumed stability, um, of different kinds. And if that doesn't exist, then it also just doesn't matter, which has been really nice in a way, just not to care. Yeah. Building capacities is what I'm interested in. So going back to things that I was taught to do when I was young, uh, that I haven't done for 10 years, like hunting and fishing, and also things that I don't right now know how to do, like building buildings. These are things that I'm learning or renewing my interest and and acquaintance with. So that is kind of on a a personal level, what I'm doing, because I've realized that capacities are much more important than, you know, could I put this in a sentence? Uh, I did this here and then. Because capacities leave you flexible, Whereas commitment to a certain path, like this is this is what I imagine the future would be like. And all I can do is think about how it didn't work out that way. Right. Capacities leave you flexible. And flexibility was always necessary. It just did it just wasn't as obviously necessary as it is now because the future seemed more normal. So you could instead of being flexible, you could kind of like slot into something. So instead of like being able to take different shapes, you would make yourself a square peg because you were like, I want to be in that square hole like one day. So in order to get there, I'm going to shape myself. And then one day somebody's going to be like, oh, look at this peg. We'll put it into that hole. And there you are. So much with that book pendulum and the move toward the we that we're all trying to get to be the same shape up to right now to two years from now. And then we're going to flip back, recognizing we can't all do that. We need specialization that's flexible where we all just kind of do our own thing. And that's 40 years toward the me. Again, that's his thesis. I, I think he's got me hooked. I, I don't want to be. It <laughs> just seems too taboo, but it really see, it just keeps explaining stuff all over the place. Um, yeah. So does this fit with what you just said? And this is a bit personal, but I've noticed is I, I wrote three books before COVID and I've written one since. Um, they're all about Christianity. I continue to try to figure out what it means to be a writer in a world in which we might all die next year, which I didn't ever consider before, right? Why would I write Tolkien's novel if we're all really going to die, right? Like next year's all over. So, you know, having to go go through sort of the Solomonic, meaningless, meaningless, why would I put my hand to anything? Um, Mm -hmm. What is the purpose? And and finding the joy of, you know, what's here today to put your hand to, just do it Mm -hmm. Um, and not worry about how it turns out. But what I've noticed is a real difference in the way that I write. 
And the, the, the books, I don't think they were bad books, but they had a certain, I don't, tone to them that is so hyper crafted that as I'm, I'm now working and writing new stuff, it's like, I don't have yeah. time to think about writing like that ever again. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain what that means. And I'm kind of looking for some, some category to put all that into. I don't know. It's weird. There's a big shift though, in the way that I write, even to myself, like I'm talking yeah. with a different voice. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. I, I think that thinking about writing is valuable unless you think that the world, liter- the world, not the United States of America as currently constituted, but the world will end. So if you think that the world will end, sure, there's no point to do something like that. If you don't, though, then your change in tone is totally understandable, right? That happens over different people's lives, writing careers specifically, but things endure in ways that are unpredictable to anyone. So there's, I I think that now is an opportunity to actually say thing. I mean, say something that is profound and interesting and enduring, even if, you know, right now people aren't going to read it. Yeah. Right. Right. one, one One of, one of the problems with our tradition, yours and mine is that it's, okay, not founded, but pioneered, whatever word you want to use for Luther. Luther gets to be a celebrity in his own lifetime, Hmm. to matter to everybody in his own lifetime. And that always gives Lutherans, I think, a, a really a poor sense of how to do meaningful work, because we expect to sound like him and to be understood and valued right away. Yeah, yeah, it's good. He he had a connection that was unique to his lifetime between a certain technology that en- enabled people to think new thoughts with physical protection from a person who valued his presence and therefore wouldn't give him up to like higher authority. Yeah, he like, he like owned Silicon Valley, you know, I mean, it's kind he of, this, and, and he, he fought did. back. I mean, what, what of it? He did. So if you don't have that, then you have to realize that maybe the value of your words is not going to be known or understood right now. And I'm at the point where like, I don't even care if they're known or understood by anyone, but me. And I find that (laughs) really new. That's a new thing. I've always been writing. This is maybe the thing. So all these other books, I was so clearly writing for the LCMS for people. Yeah. And and now I'm not even sure I'm just writing because I'm trying to figure stuff out. And that's been, again, liberating. So it comes out of what you were saying yeah. earlier, the freedom to not have to be playing whatever myth, tangent, direction, game plan for three years from now. Everyone else is playing. It's weird. Right. It's awkward. I don't know where my feet are. And yet I keep finding good stuff here. And, yeah. and I don't want right. to leave this kind of thinking, this this habit, right? Right, right. And I so I think that part of getting rid of short-term thinking is realizing whatever you know your sort of dominant intellectual or spiritual tradition is that that might not have the rewards on the table that are actually worth going for long-term. It may not be valuing the right things. It may not be prioritizing the right things. And part of the freedom of unplugging is that you are now free to understand a lot more clearly, which I think 2020 should have helped everybody do, what may or may not be of lasting value to you. And what may or may not be recoverable or worth trying to recover 
or worth trying to innovate. Right, right. I threw out last night a whole pile of notes. They're like the last set of notes that I'd printed off of the computer from writing I'd done right before I stopped using the computer for writing. And I still have a whole bunch of stuff on there in Evernote and a bunch of other places. But it was the last mm-hmm. set of stuff I was like, oh, I think this is good stuff. I want to I want to use it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, after a couple of months of transitioning to a full analog system, I finally got to this pile at the very bottom and I threw out almost the entire thing. It was, none of it was untrue, but all of mm-hmm. it was sort of gobbledygook notes. It was notes on the computer page, which is far less organized than notes on a piece of paper. I, I never had realized until I just looked at it. It's like, this is the culmination of all of my efforts and that is nonsense. Let's get rid of that. I'm not even going to try them. My conscience is done trying to go back to that project. Yeah. Look at this that's right in front of me that's real. And again, I still got too much of that because I was short-term thinking over the last three to five years, I probably have in a corner uh, 700 project ideas. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you, you know, various books and ideas and arts. And, and I tried to save all yeah, this stuff. And right. it's just, and like, and, and so part right. of it right now is just saying, you know, forget all of it. It's all dead. It's all dust. It's all yeah. gone. And yeah. um, I'm going to pick up something that's interesting. I'm going to read that thing because it's interesting right now, and I think I need it right now. And quit trying to live past on these mythologies of stories that, again, I was sold by a system wanting me to build part of their consumer information network. Yeah. I'll still play in your consumer information network. That's fine. But I'm done like playing by its rules, right? Yeah. And, and that's right. where all of us have to do that where we are somehow. Right. Huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a place that I want to go after the new year is to start talking about other countries, especially countries that I think already matter to and in the United States uh, and some that don't. Um, but one of them that I think is a good example of this is China, where it is apparent to me that their elites have more long-term thinking than ours. Oh, for sure. Are you kidding that's me? That's not a, that's <laughs> not a, it's, it's not a, it's not a moral valuation. I despise communism and the things that they're doing to assorted nationally minorities but but regionally majorities like the Uyghurs and the it, Tibetans. It is kind of like watching like an NBA basketball team suit up and warm up with a college team across the way though. I mean when I look at what I've seen of communist leaders talking publicly, which is not a lot, yeah. but they make yeah. a whole lot of sense. Right. They talk like they know what they're doing and they're not talking about this year. <laughs> and, and, and 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 yeah, and I mean some of it is fit. there's a lot of empty buildings in certain Chinese cities and stuff, but they are trying to build for the future. That's what their train system is for. That's what a lot of the things that they do are for. And so I don't really have any control over whether or not the American government does that. Mm. <laughs> but uh, if you're listening to not this, yet. Are we, you're, running you're running 2040, right? That's, right? that's right. I guess we decided that yeah. last time. So, yeah. But, but th- that long-term thinking is something that is beneficial on both an individual level, which we've largely been talking about. It's also beneficial on every kind of group level. Because it means that I'm thinking in terms of how this is going to affect my great-grandchildren instead of thinking about life in casino terms. And one of the big things that we've been saying as we got this started this year is that you're living in a casino, but I guess what I'm saying today is you don't have to. You can walk out of the casino. It is actually possible. You're probably going to lose money in the short term, and you're going to be misunderstood because when you leave the casino everyone who's accustomed to living under the fluorescent lights there is going to think that you're very, very strange. That's okay. You just have to deal with that and understand that you can't build anything until you walk out the front door. If you're joined with a we, a group that happens to be a bunch of lemmings running off a cliff and you're strong enough, you're wise enough, you're lucky enough. God loves you enough that you realize there's a cliff. 
you might be cold and wet and alone once you're not off the cliff with all the rest of the lemmings, but you're not going to be off the cliff, right? And yeah. the goal here I, is not so much even to say that we're right about our projections on this year or two years from now or anything, but that none of us should be lemmings. Uh, right. We really we really don't want a society filled with people who just do what they're told. That That's right. a really bad prescription. That is how things blow up. And I mean, literally, that's how things blow up. <laughs> so, uh, so your your encouragement is good here, and and what I see again is in this the pendulum book. Well, we're you and I are 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 not conformist. We're nonconformist, and so we're at, we're out of time with the age that we're in, which is a conformist sure. age. And most people who listen to us are probably also nonconformist to some level. And so we're living at a time that is probably the hardest time. It's hard for everyone, but it's it's hard particularly for us because we want to go and be and do distinctly and the world currently is trying to make that impossible and that's where the yeah. conflict is coming from is it's yeah. going to continue to do that right right but if you can see that that's who you are and you can see that or believe that this too shall pass that everything in, in time and space is seasoned and ordered and eventually it's going to swing back the other direction one way or the other it can't always be this way well then plan for that time when y your way of seeing the world's going to be rewarded uh, don't go out and try to gamble it all in one big fight for the power that'd be foolish right instead mm -hmm. um <laughs> A little James Altucher here for you, you know, uh, choose yourself, invest in you, invest in what you're doing right where you are. Stop hoarding for a future story that may never happen. And, you know, do something with your kids that costs money and will make them better people. Um, there, there's just so many ways to apply this. Uh, one more proverb, uh, I think this is Ecclesiastes, where he says, uh, let your garments always be white and always have oil on your head. And I think what he what more or less means is if you're hoarding it for tomorrow, you might not get to use it. So you might as well, you know, wear it. You got the good oil, put it on, man. And uh, and that's what this is too, right? That's what the freedom yeah. is so great about. Uh, right. Yeah? Right. Yeah, because if you are waiting for life to happen or life to get better, which is a lot of what I mean, the long term thinking that our system does incentivize is usually, you know, you're going to be miserable now or you're going to go 80K in debt right now, but it's going to be awesome, you know, later on when you graduate from law school and get a job, allegedly. Those sorts of things are asking you to be miserable now so that potentially someday somebody can like you. And I think it that's part of the desperation in our elites and also their rage when they feel power slipping because they really have sacrificed a lot of sort of common human joys, having a family, having people around you, you can trust <laughs> things like that, that they have sacrificed a lot of that for the things that they have been able to get. And so you can sort of understand on a human level why they would be so enraged and so desperate and, and clinging to power the way that they do. You don't have to live that way or live with that sort of contorted demonic face that we are seeing more and more, even in normal people engaged in street battles in formerly, you know, calm cities. You don't have to be like that. Uh, you can, you can, like we said, you can walk out yeah. and uh, I would encourage you to. Yeah. Yeah. Your your image of the casino has been very helpful for me. I like pairing it with I mean a casino captures it all, just most people don't think about the casino is a bank. So right. but so think of it as a bank with a casino in the front lobby maybe helps. Um and, <laughs> yeah, and there then, you go. Yeah, yeah, and a really strong military. Like the guy on duty is Navy SEALs and then they got private armies in the back too. And right. and they globally, you know, control the world to make sure that this bank works. And if you live in the um, in the right part of the lobby where we don't have to do construction right now, um, then you can live pretty well. If we have to do construction right now, well, 
it's a casino after all. So, that's right. you know, right? And and that's been really helpful for me in terms of understanding uh, real estate in general, in terms of understanding uh, the flyover America experience, uh, in terms of trying to figure out where I should really care about things right now in my life mm-hmm. um, versus the story that for better, for ill, all of us were sort of singing along, I think, uh, up, up to a year ago. So right. crazy that, right? Pied Piper and then kaboom. Uh, I, 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 it, there, there's too much providence in all of this for me to not say that at least. Uh, <laughs> so uh, departing thoughts. I know you already kind of shared what we want to talk about next time. Uh, we are going to do a next time episode. We want to record next week, I'm assuming. So people can look yeah. forward to week after Christmas. Um, That's right. And we'll be one step closer to chaos and the falling apart of our world. Or um, it'll be just more of today, and maybe you'll feel great because you haven't really paid attention between now and then. This is A Brief History right. of Power with Two White Guys, Dr. Adam Kuhn. He's at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's the one who makes sense. I'm Jonathan Fisk. I'm a pastor in Rockford, Illinois, and that's why I don't make sense. We'll catch you all next time. Rock on. We'll be right back.